This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Kat. If you follow me on Instagram as Sex Love Yoga, you'd know that I deemed August as the month of undoing. And each of these months, I take a specific theme and expand on it. Like last month was the month of healing heartbreak. And before that, it was the month of healthy attachment. So in undoing, we are practicing undoing the unhelpful messages around what it means to be a man, a woman, a sexual being in our bodies, relationships, love, and all the things, (laughs) undoing the rigidity in our bodies, the fears that we hold, undoing ourselves emotionally, physically, sexually, undoing to get to the core of our most raw and authentic self. Because I get it. We may still be operating on these constructs that were not initially ours to decide, but have been running our program and shaping our reality for a long time. And then we wonder, how did we get to living a life that we don't actually like? And better yet, how do we even shift this? So instead of walking around with this physical armor feeling guarded, or believing these beliefs about ourselves that really aren't beneficial for us or anyone. So if you want to join me this month on this specific intention, then go to Sex Love Yoga on Instagram or Sex Love Yoga with Dr. Kat on Facebook. This episode is especially for my men out there and the humans who love them. I get that you're just trying to figure it all out. We all are. And here we've got Robert Kendall to give you some pointers. But before we get to Robert, ladies, if you've been wanting to finally meet your wild self and step into a world that is free of all the heaviness and the constriction of past messages to reclaim your power and your pleasure, I want to invite you to come get wild with me in the Mayan jungle. Yes, Undone is taking over Tulum for six days to unlock, undo, unleash your most primal and pleasurable self. Embodiment practices, deep dive into understanding your erotic map, so song, vocal activation, and more. So check out UndoneYoga.com retreats for more information. Now I want to thank all of you for tuning in. I want to thank you for all the reviews that helped me gain points in the podcast stratosphere. I want to thank you for sharing with your best friend and your Instagram followers. And thank you for letting me know how this info has rocked your sex and love life. It's literally my pleasure because my goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex better. And if you haven't already, 
please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, and read more about how you can up-level your sex, love, and vitality. Ah, Now, my loves, I'm so excited to introduce to you Robert Kandel. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining me today, Robert. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. It's your pleasure too. Yeah, your (laughs) pleasure is my pleasure as well, so... You having get a pleasure, pleasure. pleasure fest. Yeah, I feel like Oprah. You get pleasure. You get pleasure. You get pleasure. <laughs> we all get pleasure. <laughs> now, Robert, I'm so excited to have him on here because I was literally just on his show last week. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. We talked all about relationships and relationship patterning and some of the things that he was saying, you know, especially from the male perspective and being a dad was really, um, really insightful. And so to have him on today to, to champion for the men in our lives <laughs> and help them to really reclaim themselves. You know, a moment ago, I was talking about women reclaiming themselves and their power and their sensuality, but how important it is for men to to reclaim themselves in this world. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we can't have, we can't have one without the other. Well, we can <laughs> theoretically, but it's not going to go very well. And, um, you know, men and women are needed for the propagation of our species. And in my view, it's getting more challenging for men and women to relate. So I think it's really important to have these conversations really upfront, direct, especially around pleasure, so we can all get along and keep this human thing going. This human thing. Yeah. Can't we all just get along? (laughs) True. True enough. Way more complicated than that, isn't it, though? Totally. Indeed. Indeed. And that's exactly why you do what you do. And listeners, just to give you a little insight into Robert, he is this epic international communication expert, which as you all know from listening to my show, how much I harp on good communication and these skills and having that as, as this you know, crucial ingredient. But he, he's a speaker and he's a podcaster um, called On Tough Love. And he's also the author of the best-selling book, Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so in your podcast, Tough Love, where you put all of this hard-hitting insight to help people to really move forward with their lives and really understand themselves and um, communicate from these places of authenticity. Mm. Thank you. I mean, it's needed. It's totally needed. It is needed. And it's, I think what, and I was reading your book, I was talking to you before the show, I was reading your book and it's, I think we can't communicate until we really know who we are and what's going on internally. So from your perspective, kind of like, what do you see happening in our society that's making this more difficult for men right now? Society's changing, I think is the thing we have to acknowledge. And if you think about the history of men uh, in terms of their role, their status, who they were, and you go back 6,000 years to the start of the patriarchy, we've had you know all these generations, generation after generation of rules and ideas and concepts handed down from father to son, father to son. And there's been some significant changes in the last 150 years 
uh, really in the last 30 or 40 years, which has shaken to the core the role of men. So if you look at you know 30 years compared to 6,000, it's a drop in time. And things are moving faster, exponentially fast. And the men I'm talking to just don't know who to be. And rather than have permission to say, I don't know who to be, they're, they're internalizing it. They're, they're disappearing. And so what's happening is men are more and more scared to be men, but don't have permission to even say that there's anything wrong. So that's really interesting as you're bringing up the conversation around roles. Do you feel that roles are important for us? Or how roles, does that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, roles give us, you know, the concept. We, we are believers and lovers of hierarchy. You know, mm-hmm. without hierarchy in a free-form system, people don't know how to be. They might not like it, but they actually tend to feel more comfortable knowing the pecking order, who's the alpha, who's the beta. You know, we, we, we actually like to know these things. And if you look at the changes the last 40 years, uh, in terms of, you know, I believe started with the schooling system. About 40 years ago, the mm-hmm. educators started to create programs for girls, women under 18, especially around the areas of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And what's happened in the last 40 years in terms of the education system, women are now dominating. The the Gender pay gap, which was 64 cents in 1980s, is now 93 cents for white millennial women entering the workforce in 2012. If you look at uh, people getting married later or not at all, there's really been a significant statistical change in the last 40 years. Uh, you have Me Too, you know, in the last 18 months or 24 months at this point, which have really blown up uh, how men feel comfortable relating. Um, I'm I'm a huge fan of Me Too. I think it was one of the most important things to happen. And yet the the impact is men don't know who to be and don't know who to ask to get help. Mm, mm. You see, and from my perspective, I almost see that as a good thing, right? To shake up these roles and, and have people like really look at who they are as individuals. But what you're suggesting is that people like having these roles because it gives them something to um, know how to act from. Right. Well, it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, I think it's great. I think the patriarchy needs shaking up. I mean, if you look at our political leadership, you know, it's obvious that the patriarchy needs a big wake up call and it's not comfortable. And, you know, what do you do when you're not comfortable for for the people with, to use your language, more secure attachment, people with more confidence, people with more foundation? They're like, yes, the next great adventure is here for those who don't feel that stability or strength or fortitude, it's scary. It's scary as fuck, actually. And so what you know, I see a lot of men doing is I see them disappearing. Uh, you know, there's a whole demographic in Japan of men under 30 who are virgins and have no desire to learn how to interact with women. Uh, you have the incels in different parts of the world as well of men who are just um, not having sex and not by choice. And so what, we're, what men are doing is moving towards uh, pornography video games, uh, uh, other addiction, uh, stepping away from the great adventure that the world can be and actually shrinking. Mm, Wow. 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 So people are moving away from the actual connection piece or the intimacy piece in a way to protect themselves. Right. I mean, if you look at the rise of sex dolls, which is really (laughs) fascinating to me, 
like men are preferring sex dolls because they don't have to learn to interact with the highly complex female. And they're not looking at it as a fun challenge. They're looking at it as a why bother. And so they're, you know, the rise of pornography, you know, free pornography started in 2008 with a single man who figured out how to game and monetize pornography. And the impact of the last 11 years has been significant across the board. Uh, and so what we're seeing is just this, you know, as an overall men, not all men, but of course, like the central demographic is stepping away from taking chances because of the fear of being me too uh, taking away and, and we're seeing uh, more single adults in the United States for the first time in history. We're seeing uh, marriage times rising significantly. And so it's really been a huge impact, like I said, in the last 40 years. Yeah. Wow. And you know, what I'm hearing is, is some of the voices of my friends or some of my clients who were like, well, I don't want to, I don't want her to feel like I'm, I'm a predator. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they don't go and ask her out or, or they're hesitant around sex. They love sex, but they they don't want to even ask it or approach it because they're afraid of, oh, well, she's going to think that that's just what I want from her. And, and um, she's going to think that I'm objectifying her, blah, 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 or that I'm a, you know, quote unquote, task, toxic masculine, mm-hmm. which I talked about a couple of episodes ago. And I, I, it, so it's causing this, this almost like short-circuiting or trauma experience for men. Exactly. And if you look at the business world, you know, men mentoring younger women was just part of the system. And now we're seeing a significant decrease of men who will not mentor young women out of fear of reprisal a fear of innuendo, a fear of saying something wrong and then getting in trouble. And so what's going to be the impact of that is going to be significant in this next generation of young women rising up. They're going to have to find female mentors. They're going to have to do it on their own. And this chasm, this uh, space between men and women, I think is increasing overall rather than decreasing. Mm, wow. So how do you see men navigating this? Like how, what are some things that you help them to see or do to move through that? All my systems, uh, I have a system that I, I work with and it depends on the situation, but it really is kind of the same thing. I do it over. It's in the book, in the appendix. So it goes over in details. But the first step for any man in any situation that's not optimal it's not exactly they want the way they want it. The first step I always recommend is to confront. Mm. What I mean by confront is not a confrontation, not like a fight, but just an awareness. And what that means is take off the blinders, open your eyes wide, you know, really see, oh, I'm 30 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm watching porn and masturbating three times a day and it feels unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, the last three relationships have ended really poorly and I'm not friends with the women anymore. Really confront the facts of your life is always the first step in making change. And without it, you're just going to maintain your status quo and actually drift down in energy. So the first step is just to say, huh, my life is not exactly the way I want it. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so really taking a um, inventory of, of what's unfolding so that you can have more power over how you, the participation in the unfolding. Right. 
which can be really difficult, especially if there's things you don't want to see, things that are in your shadow, right? And so that's where, you know, trusted friends, that's where 12-step groups can be of value. Uh, Coaches and therapists, you know, programs like the one you described, being around other women or other men in similar situations so they can reflect, they Mm -hmm. they can say the things that are hard for you to see specifically. That's what I mean by confront. Oh my God, that's so true. Or those things that we see, but we don't actually want to acknowledge it. So we just, right. you know, like bypass it and be like, no, I don't have trouble with intimacy. I'm so right. good. <laughs> Everything is fine. I don't, you know, drinking that bottle of Jack every day, it's no big deal. You know, it's just like, oh, it's a wake up call. And it's really difficult because you have to confront not just the current behavior, but the the childhood trauma, the the teenage angst, the problems in your 20s and 30s and 40s, depending on how old you are, of course. But it's not just the thing in present time. It's all the history that led up to it can be really difficult to confront with just to confront to see it. And so that's why most people are like, eh, screw it. I'll just stay. It's good enough. Yeah, that or um, there was this part in your book and it was talking about, oh, it was talking about the the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. So the yeah. whole um, nice guy um, syndrome, mm-hmm. right? And about men showing up in this specific way of fixing and caretaking and all this stuff, but it's really something that they're repressing. And maybe you can expand on that a little more because I was like, oh, yes. No More Mr. Nice Guy is a great book uh, read by one of my icons, uh, Dr. Robert Glover. He he wrote in 19, 1990s. Actually, I did an interview with him on my show. He's a great guy. Oh um, and just recently published a, another book. But anyway, the concept of No More Mr. Nice Guy was that in the, in the 70s and 80s, men were acculturated to become nice to, uh, you know, new age, nice guy, the Alan Alda, the Kenny G sensation, you know, just like to to be that nice guy, because that's what they perceived women wanted. Mm -hmm. In becoming that nice guy, they also had to shove down all the things that were stopping them from being nice guys. And that was often anger or frustration or not knowing. And so when a man was actually presenting himself as nice, there was actually rage. There was, a, there was fear underneath it. And so it became hidden. It became locked inside. Now, women tend to be more intuitive creatures than men. And so women can say, huh, you're acting kind of nice, but there's something going on inside. Is there something else? And the guy, because he had not confronted his own anger, was like, no, everything is fine. Why, why are you picking on me? Like, then you get into a fight. So the point is, is that, you know, my belief system and my viewpoint is that we want to interact with fully integrated others. And in order to to interact with fully integrated others, we have to start off with our fully integrating ourselves, acknowledging our hate, acknowledging our anger, acknowledging all the parts of ourselves that we deem unattractive. So then we can have a better relationship with it. So we can become more integrated. And then you can actually magnetize a fully integrated partner to live an amazing life. Mm, so really getting, learning how to be vulnerable right? So that we can sort of like transmute those parts of ourselves that we don't like. Right. 
and just get in relationship. You know, anger can be really sexy mm-hmm. it, when it's when it's integrated. All parts of yourself is right. We just have biases that think these 17 emotions are good. These 14 emotions are bad. So I'm going to show the 17, hoping to fool someone into falling in love with me. And then I can ah, relax and show all of ourselves. And then there's a <laughs> sense of betrayal. So it's really interesting in the dating world when we hide different parts of ourselves. And isn't that something that we most often do at the beginning of relationships? Yes, totally. We, we, we show, you know, we, we show, we show the best parts of ourselves, <laughs> hoping to hook the other person because if they saw, you know, this intense uh, rage I had, or if they saw this sexual fetish that I had, they would leave. And so I can't uh-huh. show that until I've kind of basically hooked them and I got them on some level addicted to me and then I can show it. And then it's too late at that point, which is just the way we were taught all genders. This is not just men, but all genders were taught to hide the parts of ourselves that aren't, we deem unattractive. But to me, that's not the healthiest, most optimal way to learn to relate. Show all sides of yourself in balanced form and let them decide to fall in love with the fullness of you rather than the facades we tend mm. to wear. Oh my gosh. I can see, I can hear the voices of my clients being like, but she doesn't want to know that I'm this way or that, that I'm, that I'm needy or that I'm nervous or all this stuff. So how do, how do people navigate the, like, how do they work with those parts, especially when you start first start dating? First and foremost is it's all internal. I mean, this is the this is the big cosmic joke, right? We constantly think it's like someone else is going to make us feel good or be mm-hmm. right with who we are. No, it's all internal. It's all an inside job. So, uh, what did you say? Nervous. Like if you're a nervous guy, and you have this viewpoint that women don't like nervous guys. Mm-hmm. My belief system: it's not that women don't like nervous guys. Women don't like guys with their own internal judgment or hatred or disconnection from their nervousness. It's Mm -hmm. the layer on top of the nervousness. Mm -hmm. And so if you can do the internal work to come in a proper, healthy relationship with all parts of yourself, Mm -hmm. then you don't have to hide it. Then you're confident about who you are. And then you have presence because you're not spending energy hiding part of yourself. And my belief system, that's what women truly want. They want Mm -hmm. a guy with enough free attention to put attention on them. And so that's what presence is. And so when you do your internal work to fall in love with all aspects of yourself, that's what women truly want. They want an authentic, integrated, vulnerable man. Mm, That I love. I love hearing that because what I'm, what I'm imagining is, you know, those times, like say we have like a birthmark on our, on our neck Mm -hmm. and the birthmark really isn't that big of a deal, but if we're ashamed of it, then our, then, you know, we make our hair so that it covers the birthmark or we put our hand over it so that the person doesn't see it. And it's not so much the birthmark, but they pick up that energy that we're not there with it. We're not accepting it. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, why are you so weird about your birthmark? Because of X, Y, and Z. And so, again, it's like women want your attention. They want your <laughs> attention not to be on the birthmark. They want their, your attention on them. They want yeah. you to interact with them. And so, again, it's 
it's, you know, my self-esteem is built upon esteemable acts, right? Self-esteem, our, our self-love, our self-validation is built on when we do things that have us feel good about ourselves, first and foremost. We no longer uh, require another uh, a woman or a job or a bank account to validate us. We have our ability to validate ourselves. When we have that, then that's ultimately more attractive than trying to fool or con a woman into validating us. Oh my God, right? And then it's almost like this, um, you know, if we feel like we have to manipulate or con somebody into that, I, I've worked with clients in the past where they come into me, by the time they come to me after doing all these uh, dating techniques and pickup artistry techniques and all this yeah. stuff, they're so depressed because it's not authentic to them. Right. It's so they've been suspending themselves for so long that it, it's not helping. Sure, they're getting the person, but then they don't know what to do with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, those are just band-aids. And, you know, I, I have a very fond relationship with pickup artists and seduction techniques because those guys are just like, they're just so desiring. They're so willing to, like, it's just like, they're so enthusiastic and they're using really bad tools. Um, so there's a really soft spot in my heart for those fellas. Um, yeah, we love them too. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of this can come down to you and in your book, you really expand on this, these concepts of these, these mental constructs of how we see the world, you know, mm -hmm. these thoughts of, of scarcity or these fears of rejection and how those are driving forth our behaviors or how we're mm -hmm. showing up. And yet how often, how difficult it can actually be to change mindsets because these are so ingrained in us and we've been conditioned and, and, you know, this, um, confirmation bias where, where this is the truth and this is the lens that we're looking through and everything else is going to end up being evidence to support that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we believe we see, like what we think about ourselves, the, you know, it's a small world after all. It's like that repeating <laughs> meme we would call earworms in your head. I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm fat. Well, guess what? Every time you look in the mirror, that's what you see. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm unattractive. I'm unattractive. Uh, I'm small. Like whatever the viewpoint is in there, what you focus on will grow. And mm -hmm. so, and this is not, I'm not trying to prescribe like this is a snakeskin oil you drink. This is, you know, like you take a drink and all of a sudden your confidence, it's the opposite. It's a long extended practice. It's uh, doing the things, the small steps, the building blocks, so you can have the life you want. Mm. And so it's really, that's what I train guys is not to go for the quick fix, the seduction technique, but really build the internal belief system so they can become more attractive. Mm. those they want to attract yeah you know it just came to my mind i was on instagram this morning you know scrolling away like everybody else yeah. <laughs> but um getting into that vortex and i saw this meme and it was this avocado standing in front of the mirror and he and it said um um morning mirror exercises and the avocado was saying you're fat but you're uh. the good kind of fit uh. <laughs> that is such a nerdy joke yeah. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> is that a dad joke? Is that a good dad joke? <laughs> That's like a healthy mom joke more than anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do men even begin that? I mean, you were talking about if the first of all, the first step was confronting, you know, confronting. Yep. The second step is to investigate on mm -hmm. your particular predicament. 
Uh, we live in the most information-rich time in society. You have computers in your pockets. You have, you know, Google. Uh, and there's a lot of misinformation out there, but there's still a lot of great information out there. So just mm-hmm. investigate. There's some great books on porn addiction. There's some great on self-esteem. And there's some amazing stuff out there. So go research it and find out. One, the research is just going to add some, hopefully some levity that you're not the only person with this problem. You, you might read the success stories of others. So go and investigate and gain some knowledge as step number two. Say that more because you touch that on your book about uniqueness, like this, this um, issue with uniqueness. Uh, 12 step, like I stole this from 12 step. It's called terminal uniqueness. Yeah. Some of us believe that we're the only person that's ever had this problem. In this belief system, we isolate because no other freaks exist that have the thing that I have. <laughs> and so then we suffer in solitude, which is, of course, you know, the energy of this predicament rising and mm-hmm. rising and rising. When you have, when you realize that there's at least one other person having this experience, then the terminal uniqueness starts to crack. Mm. And if you really research, I I would suspect there's thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of others with the same predicament. Then the power of the isolation decreases and you can actually learn and experience their success, which hopefully will inspire you to believe in your own possibility of your own success and growth as well. Mm, so very connective, very um, helps us to remember this is a collective experience and not a solo experience. Yes. Separate. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, I went to 12-step mm-hmm. programs for many years mm-hmm. and I can honestly say the most powerful thing was just the reality that the stories of others uh, were similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And in their growth and recovery, I saw the possibility of my own growth and um my growth and recovery. I, you know, my, my addiction was more around love. I was a love addict um, and really saw, you know, all the trials and tribulations that I had learned to become that. And then in their, in their growth, I saw my own growth. So it was the greatest gift I could have ever received. Oh, wow. Yeah. The power of community. Exactly. Yeah. So then after we investigate, what do we do next? You make a commitment. And you don't oh, commit. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a commitment photo. I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, okay. that's most, most people are, right? Like you commit and you commit to change. You don't mm-hmm. know what you're, how you're going to change, but it's really important to make this step before you come up with the next step. But you commit. You say, I'm going to dedicate the next part of my life to this growth. It can be mm-hmm. something really small, like I'm doing intermittent fasting for the last three months. It's changed my diet. It's changed my body. I made a commitment to my health and then I found intermittent fasting. So the point is you just commit. I, I no longer happy spending every weekend alone. I'm no longer happy with my um, unconscious addiction to going to pornhub.com, like whatever it is, like you just saying, I want to make a change in my life and you commit to that change. Mm, But Robert, my life is so uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to feel. I don't know (laughs) how important that is. Yeah. 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 Because like uh, that wine (laughs) is what keeps you in your status quo. And if you're happy with your status quo, then 
enjoy it. Stay on the couch, stay watching mm-hmm. the porn, like whatever. But if there's some part of you that's not 100%, and I mean this, 100% thrilled, if you don't believe you're living your most optimized life, then just say, okay, I'm committing to changing. And the changes can be really small. I mean, this is not like has to be huge things. It could be the small things. But when you commit to change, when you say, I want something more, then your attention is on getting something more. And then guess what you notice? Things that will have you have more rather than I'm too fat, I'm too fat, I'm too ugly, et cetera, et cetera. Which is the antidote of the scarcity mindset. Yes. Right? Exactly. Because in scarcity, all you see is what you don't have. When you just start to believe in abundance, then you get to see what you can have. I love that because then it kind of exactly what you're saying, you know, it opens this, we're now looking through this lens of, oh, there's love and there's Mm -hmm. love and there's love instead of just seeing all the potential rejections. Exactly. Or how little of women there are that we can connect with. Exactly. Precisely. I hear that one a lot. There's yep. nobody I can connect with. There's nobody who really gets, you know, like I'm attracted to who's really awesome, who is attracted to me too. And I'm like, well, you probably should get out of your house first. <laughs> yes. And off Netflix. <laughs> off of Netflix. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so and with that, even because uh, with the change of society, there's uh, the, um, um, all the dating apps and the mm-hmm. swiping and the, you know, I can imagine that that plays a major role in how we interact with one another. Oh, huge. I mean, we haven't even seen the Tinder effect truly yet, but <laughs> whew, I mean, Tinder's only been around, I think 2010 is when it came out. Yeah. Uh, don't call me on that, but it's been less than 10 years and yeah. boy, we've changed dating. Um, the whole perceptive of, you know, a higher quantity, lower quality. Uh, one of the things I like to write about is how in the past, when I was a young man, uh, I would go on a date and it wouldn't work out and I would go home and I would feel rejected and I would feel all the feelings of her not liking me or the date not going well. Now t- in the Tinder revolution, you, you leave a coffee date that didn't go well, guess what you do? You pull out your phone and you scan who's in the area also looking for a date. And all of a sudden you you bypass the whole emotional impact. You become less connected to your own feelings because there's so much more possibility. Or you're in the middle of a great date and you start to think, oh, there probably is someone better out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. I should disconnect and you know, you know, keep my options open for the bigger and better deal. And and or if it starts to get rough, guess what? Oh, this isn't working out. We've had our first argument. Uh, this is ridiculous. I'm gonna go back to Tinder and find someone else. So we're, we've gone to a more surface level relating in terms of dating. Mm, yeah. We've called that the paradox of choice because mm-hmm. there's so many choices. We end up not making a choice. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's so wild to hear it. Think about how much of this, like our reality is literally created from our internal perspective. Exactly. Totally. Oh yeah. 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 And yet we think it's that we have to do more. We have to, you know, all this stuff, but it's like slow down and come back here and work on here. Yes. And then the other things will follow. Right. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're constantly trying to fix the external when we ignore the internal. And that's 
to me, it's just inefficient. It's like mm-hmm. you can't, you might fix one portion of your external and then a new experience, new stimuli arises. It's how you rela- react to the stimuli of life. It's how you react to the women who show up. It's, it's, it's your response to it that you can always constantly up-level and up-level. And I use these words mm-hmm. really deliberately. I don't say, you know, make better, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or, or make you stop being bad. It's really just about how to up-level and how to optimize and how to create your reality closer to what you want. Mm, yes, because we can have that. And that's another mindset. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that I can have that what I want. Yeah. There was another part in the book that I was, I found myself, I was literally curled up in my chair with my feet up on the wall. And I was, and I, I was like, Oh my God. Yes. And my sister comes in. She's like, what, what, what? And I was like, no, I just like really resonate with what's not what I'm reading right now. But it was talking about, um, you said that you realized that you needed to learn how to receive in order to accept all the good that the universe wanted to offer you. Totally. And that it was ironic. Cause once you started working on just the capacity to receive that you started seeing more and more abundance and love coming up and showing up. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, one of the things that men don't know, um, this is for men and women. I'll speak about men first is, you know, men really have a very small uh, capability or uh, ability to receive. It's Mm -hmm. like, we talk a big game. We say we want the full smorgasbord of all the experiences, but when we actually show up to eat, uh, how much we can actually swallow is much less. Mm -hmm. And then we get angry. So it's, it's like this really weird, uh, you know, bravado that says, I want so much. And this is my own experience. I said, you know, I wanted to have all these experiences. I want to be this, you know, great adventure. I want to be this, you know, Lothario and this, you know, this ladies man. And then all of a sudden a bunch of women started paying attention to me. And I was like, ah, I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. All the good. And so, you know, the ability to open up your, your having this level, how much you can have your rest, receptivity, uh, how much you can receive will actually enable you to get receive all the good the universe wants to provide Mm. so i had an experience and i've heard this with multiple other girlfriends of mine too of this this pattern that we're seeing of um you know dating dating guys and then them wanting freedom like freedom is this characteristic that they want in their relationship right Mm -hmm. and i have that's a characteristic i give to anybody who's close to me i'm like yes freedom Tune into yourself. What do you need? I highly support that. And as time goes on, it ends up that they go back to an old pattern of somebody who's more possessive or more um, manipulative and um, closing of that freedom, so to say. And so something that you just said there, I'm wondering if that's related because here, here's the freedom, but you're actually afraid to leave the cage for freedom. Yes. You know, my, my wife and I, <clears throat> Morgan, have just played with the concept of open relating or non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for in the beginning, we were non-monogamous and that didn't quite work out for our relationship. And then for the last year, year plus, we've been uh, all monogamous and that's been great and hard and difficult. And now just recently, she's, um, we're talking again about the possibility of play outside the relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she's doing her own internal work to have her feel good about it. And then she asked me how I felt. And I was like, there's some part of me that's nervous. Like there's some (laughs) part of me that's like, 
I've kind of enjoyed that you said no, quote unquote. Mm. Like I've mm-hmm. actually gained the benefit of because now I, I there's a nervousness of actually going out there and interacting with other women. So mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen. It's really the main point, but just the sensation of it. And so we, like I said, we we want freedom, but often we we don't want freedom in reality, we want freedom in perception. We want freedom to believe that we can have. And my wife just saying to me, I'm willing to open up this dialogue was so loving and so much. uh, I was just so appreciative of that alone. And Mm -hmm. then if something actually happens, that's the gravy. The point is, is like when we uh, try to contain another out of fear, that's when a relationship can go down. When we try to uh, have that person be smaller because we don't feel confident we can handle their bigness. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Then you're dating someone who's small and they're mm-hmm. probably doing the same thing to you. My belief system is to create freedom for both partners for choice and then slowly and deliberately expand your life. Mm, wow. Yeah. And you know, something that you said earlier in the show too, about um, these, this concept of roles and how people want roles as much as they don't, right. they want them because it's comfortable. Right. Right. It's just like, you know who you are. I'm a monogamous guy, not by choice, but okay, that's who I am. And I'll just go outside my comfort zone. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden those restraints come off. You're like, oh, I don't really know who I am anymore. So <laughs> For me, that's like exciting because then like I get to see who I am in this next iteration of my life Mm -hmm. rather than uh, being boxed in, which is not comfortable for me Mm -hmm. in most guys. So I want to be really clear. I'm not saying be any type of uh, specific relationship type. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. prescribing anything, but I am hoping that couples can speak openly and share desires and, and just show all parts of yourself. You know, show the fetishes, show the 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 weird kind of strange, sexy things, show all parts of yourself and make it safe for the person to do that. Then you're actually reacting with the whole being when society people tend to hide. So be that place where it feels safe for a man to show all parts of himself. Yeah. And I get that those conversations can be difficult to bring up because we're afraid of how it's going to be received. Right. Do you have any tips for people on starting those conversations? Really, it's about setting up the containers. It's it's mm-hmm. about uh, saying, uh, you know, I, there's I have the framework I recommend is let's say like uh, a guy uh, was withholding something from his 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 partner, a woman. So the guy would say to the woman, uh, "Hey, can we talk tonight? There's something I want to chat about." She'll probably say, what, what, what do you want to talk about? Like the nervousness will arise, right? Like, right. And then it's really on him to say like, just fine. Everything is fine. Don't worry. Uh, there's just something I want to talk about. And so, uh, you know, can we create a space tonight? So at the, when you're in that space, remove all distractions, turn off the phones, turn off the music. If you have kids, uh, you know, make sure there's a sitter, make sure they're bed, like really create a space where you can talk and be connected. Mm-hmm. sit in that physical uh, appropriate format. Maybe you're holding hands, maybe you're knee to knee, like make sure that you're in a deeply connected. Then the next thing I recommend is, is a little counterintuitive. I recommend that the guy apologize for withholding this information from the woman mm. and then give his motivation 
for why he withheld. So something like, listen, um, I want to talk to you about a thing um, uh, that I've been withholding from you. And I want to know the reason that I was withholding it from you was that uh, I was afraid you would leave. I was afraid that um, I would be, um, I would, it would just disgust you or I was so afraid of you not accepting me that I withheld it. And I want you to know the impact it had was I perceived that it created some distance between us. And I want to apologize for that. Mm. Hopefully she'll say, oh, okay, well, thanks for sharing. So by starting off with vulnerability, starting off with taking ownership of the withhold is a really powerful step of taking responsibility. Then the guy will say, this is a thing I'm withholding. Um, I've been having an emotional affair with a woman in my office. There's been nothing physical, but I can feel kind of the flirting. I can feel kind of the energy. I can feel my thinking about her. Um, and it's been going on for two months and it's, I think it's impacting us. Then mm -hmm. shut up. Don't say anything. <laughs> Don't try to make it better. Oh, but it's fine. I still love you. Someone, no, yeah. just stop talking. Then let the woman respond, then respond to her response, and then let her respond to your response about her response, mm -hmm. and start the dialogue to reconnect the intimacy that might have been impacted by this withhold. Mm. And it could mean the end of the relationship. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to sugarcoat this. Like the, the woman yeah. could be so offended or so hurt by that and so insecure or whatever that she says, you've broken my rules. I don't trust you anymore. Um, and then that's the right thing because then, you know, you're relieving, but hopefully it'll be a springboard for deeper intimacy. So rather than withholding this truth, you can actually show yourself and be more connected. Mm, I love that. And isn't that the ingredient for actually creating the exact relationship that we want? One in yes. which we can show up authentically and be received. Or it'll exit and we can continue forward creating what is more in alignment. Right. And hopefully the next time you won't do that in your relationship. Right. <laughs> like you won't have to hide your heart or hide who you are. You mm. know, like I I'm bisexual. I'm attracted to men. Like saying that in the beginning. I'm not saying on the first date. I'm saying mm -hmm. in the first couple of weeks when the the negotiation of relationship is happening yeah. it's the kindest thing you can do to another and let them choose wow yeah. that really turns me on or wow that really turns me off mm -hmm. or huh i'm kind of curious about that i've never been in relationship with a bisexual man what will that mean and all mm -hmm. of a sudden you're actually showing your cards rather than hiding them Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I do that all the time when I'm dating. I'm I'm like newly into the dating scene again and mm. and having those conversations because my <laughs> my personality and who I am, like there's a lot of complexity there. Yeah. <laughs> And so sometimes bringing these things up can be very activating for the other person. And at the same time, like knowing who I am and, and becoming this person I am, I love this person that I am. Mm. And it just, it's not so much about a rejection. It's more about an improper fit. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're just not a fit. Exactly. And that's it. Yep. This whole conversation was so insightful, and I think it's going to be really helpful for both men and women to really um, look at themselves and start taking more charge of who they are and how they want this to unfold. Mm. I wonder, Robert, if there's anything that you would like to leave our listeners with as they go about their day. <laughs> the thing I always like to say is we spend a lot of time and energy beating ourselves up. 
We mm-hmm. are a society of self-flagellators, you know, whipping ourselves and beating ourselves. You're kinky. Yeah. The good kind is kinky. The, you know, we, we're experts at the not so good kind. So what I like to uh, just offer is that my belief that you're doing it right, you're perfect, and you can do it better. Perfection mm. includes the propensity for change. Mm. Your ability to say, I'm going from good to better is a lot faster than going from bad to good. So yeah. just no matter what's happening in your life, no matter how much you're beating yourself up, take that energy that you're beating yourself up and, and, and just change it. Re, you know, redirect it into your own growth and your own expansion. I guarantee you life will become more interesting. Oof. Wow, I love that. Mm, thank you so much, Robert. This My was such pleasure. a good inter- interview. Oh. Uh, so how can people find you? Where can they go to, to read more? I know your book is on Amazon. Everything can be found at robertcandell.com. Mm-hmm. I have my book. Uh, there's three free audio chapters if you want to download. I read it myself and it's really fun. So you can take a <laughs> listen that way. Um, I also uh, have my own podcast and blogs and a whole bunch of things can be found at robertcandell.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to check out our podcast, it's not out yet, but uh, there's the Facebook Live on your Facebook. Right. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash robert.candell, which is linked on my homepage. Uh, and you'll be coming out, I think it's uh, mid to late August. Okay. So look out there for that. <laughs> Thank you again so much for hopping on today with me. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And lovers, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please head to eplaysex.com, subscribe to the show, connect with us and grab our sexy guides because our goal here is to help you eat, play and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve every aspect of your life. We'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.